for tuning in to the Open Door Ministry Breadcrumbs Podcast with me, your host, Barbara Smith. We are here to share our blog articles with you in an audio format. We know that people are very busy and constantly on the go, but we all still need daily inspiration in our lives. It is our goal to share a few thought-provoking morsels that will challenge you to stay actively engaged in the Word of God. His Word is the bread of life. Prepped for War by Barbara Smith The Continental Army predates the United States by almost a year. It was established on June 14, 1775, with George Washington from Virginia being sworn in as the commander-in-chief five days later. He was chosen because his excellent reputation as a military leader preceded him. This undertaking was considered a united colonial force consisting of representatives from all the then-established 13 colonies. As time went on and battles were still being fought, they adapted previously successful militia tactics along with new organized methods in their endeavors for achieving peace and unity. In 1776, as the United States declared their independence, the still existing militia and the Continental Army combined their services for the good of the whole and became known as the United States Army. The Department of War was created when the U.S. Constitution was ratified in the year 1789 by the U.S. Congress which replaced the Continental Congress to continue in the administration of the Army as they had already been doing capably for 14 years. It would take endless days to tell all that has happened historically since then involving brave men and women who have fought for our country, and there are stories of worthy men and women which have long ago been forgotten on a lonely, anonymous battlefield. My husband, daughter, and I recently were privileged to vacation in Colonial Williamsburg, Virginia, and got to see an enormous number of historical facts come to life by great actors there. I would highly recommend this trip, and I know there are many worthwhile historic venues that we could all add to our bucket lists. However, this is not what prompted this thought, but an article I read recently in the Tennessee Magazine in the May 2022 edition. It was about the World War II Army maneuvers that were conducted in 21 counties of Tennessee to prepare the soldiers for war. It brought everything into perspective for me. Have you ever known something on the grand scheme of things but never thought about where the rubber meets the road, practical aspects of it? Everyone knows that to do something and to do it right, there must be great attention paid to details and much behind-the-scenes work must happen before any results are seen by anyone else. It's happening all around us and even in our day-to-day lives. For instance, a schoolmate might ask your child today, what are you having for dinner tonight? To which your child replies, spaghetti. The kid says, how do you know? Your kid just shrugs. However, if it were vocalized, 
your child would say, because my mom did the grocery shopping a couple of days ago, got all of the necessary ingredients, set out the meat to thaw while she was at work today, and asked me to slice the Italian bread to go with the dinner when I get home from school this afternoon. But to the kids, it is just a no-brainer, a given. However, they will put all the pieces together later in their lives, soon enough. Well, this article was a look into one of those behind-the-scenes preparation moments for me on the grand scale of things that we often take for granted and consider a no-brainer, shrug our shoulders, and go on. Even though the war was not taking place on U.S. soil, in areas where these maneuvers were being conducted, seeing soldiers, equipment, tanks, etc. became the norm for farmers, merchants, adults, and children alike during those years. Though it was taxing on the land, bridges, roads, restaurants, and hotels of the time, conducting these maneuvers was an absolute necessity. Most of the soldiers were just draftees right out of high school who were still teenagers and were not even born in the time of World War I. They had not heard of any current wars during their lifetimes to that point. Though before World War I, there had been many wars, and there have been many since World War II. Though our children would be much more familiar with war nowadays, we are always hopeful for peace and that they would never have to experience it firsthand. These troops were dubbed the Second Army. Tennessee was chosen as the practice grounds because it has similar terrain as Germany, France, and Belgium, where they were anticipating the war would mostly be fought. During these maneuvers in Tennessee, there were over a million soldiers who passed through the area. They had formed two opposing sides to fight, not using live ammunition, known as the Red and the Blue. Major General George S. Patton defeated his opposing team and developed the tactics that later helped him see great victory in Europe by studying the campaigns of Confederate General Nathan Bedford Forrest of the American Civil War using tank units as cavalry. These maneuvers, called problems, continued from 1941 to November 1944 on a scheduled basis and always accompanied by troubleshooting sessions. There were soldiers jumping out of planes, foot soldiers marching and fighting in hand-to-hand combat, setting up of camps, forging rivers on foot and by boat, and trudging over hills and through swamps. To the average Tennessean, this was an exciting time in their otherwise mundane lives. It also served to bring in great revenue in Tennessee at the time, not only from sales of goods and services, but they could claim costs of damages to their property from the government. It is recorded that the Army Corps of Engineers built a pontoon bridge across the Cumberland River in less than a day. This was exciting to the onlookers, but arduous work and dangerous to the soldiers. On July 4, 1943, Private First Class Mitchell J. Dabrowski of Wilbraham, Massachusetts, wrote a letter. These maneuvers are pretty tough. In fact, it is about the toughest thing I have ever had in the Army. Though he survived Tennessee, he was killed in action a year later in Belgium. This is only one of many stories. It is reported that around 250 soldiers lost their lives during the Tennessee maneuvers. From vehicle accidents, plane crashes, riverboats capsizing, or illness. Yet, 
they were still necessary. Of all the military branches involved in World War II, there were around 16 million United States soldiers fighting for world peace, and of those, there were only reported 407,300 casualties. I say only just because of the percentages that would have been much higher without the proper training. However, we know that even one soul lost is one too many. I am not affiliated with the armed forces in any way, nor am I an expert in the subject of warfare. However, in my limited knowledge and from a lifetime of observation, I realize that much preparation goes into succeeding and winning in any category of life. After all, you would not want to be operated on by a doctor who received a certificate off the internet after two weeks of study. For him or her to be qualified, they will have to put many years of blood, sweat, tears, and dollars into earning their doctoral degree. To be considered battle-ready, there are a myriad of items needed for survival when on the defensive and things needed to do combat when on the offensive side of the equation. In the infant stages of preparation, you must know who your enemy is and who your commander is to have a successful offensive or defensive operation in place to defeat, destroy, and neutralize the foe. Once a strategy is in place, you should not try to recreate the wheel while engaged in battle. Stick to the plan that was set forth in the practice maneuvers and planning stages. Instructions must be clear and concise. Skills must be taught and honed before ever setting foot on the battlefield. There is no time for discussion when a sword or a bullet is coming your way. Webster's Dictionary offers a few simple definitions for us regarding battle readiness. Preparation. Preparation is the action or process of making something ready for use or service or getting ready for some occasion, test, or duty. Plans. Plans are a detailed formulation of a program of action or a method of achieving an end. Maneuvers. Maneuvers are a military or naval movement an armed forces training exercise, especially an extended and large-scale training exercise involving military and naval units separately or in combination. Tactics. Tactics are the science and art of disposing and maneuvering forces in combat, the art or skill of employing available means to accomplish an end, a system or mode of procedure, and action taken to gain a tactical end. All of these are used to achieve success in the endeavor in which you are engaging. Weapons would be an obvious choice when thinking about offensive warfare. We can see this even back in the Bible days. The Philistines knew the advantage of weapons, therefore they did not want the Israelites to get their hands on any. 1 Samuel 13 verse 19 says, Now there was no smith found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, Lest the Hebrews make them swords or spears. Another example is from Ezekiel 21, 9 and 10. Son of man, prophesy and say, Thus saith the Lord, Say, A sword, a sword is sharpened, and also furbished. It is sharpened to make a sore slaughter. It is furbished, that it may glitter. 
There is no doubt that a battle is more apt to be won with weapons that are battle-ready than with no weapons at all or those that have been sitting collecting rust for a while. In the year 1714, Alexander Spotswood of Virginia established a building, an armory, which they called a magazine in that day. This allowed them to keep their weapons such as long rifles, bayonets, muskets, gunpowder stores, other ammo, swords, pistols, and axes, safe, protected, and out of the wrong hands, which at that time included little children, and it also served as a headquarters for incoming and outgoing weapons. Though the weapons were first used against the American natives, by the mid-1700s, unrest began between the colonies and England, which then led to their use against one another. The weapons from the 1700s, as aforementioned, seem very archaic to us now. However, there is a story found in the scripture where a battle was won using extremely unconventional weapons. In fact, they were just common household items. We see this in Judges 7, verses 15 through 22. And it was so when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof, that he worshipped and returned into the host of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord hath delivered into your hand the host of Midian. And he divided the three hundred men into three companies, and he put a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers. And he said unto them, Look on me, and do likewise. And behold, when I come to the outside of the camp, it shall be that as I do, ye shall do. When I blow with a trumpet, and I and all that are with me, then blow ye the trumpets also on every side of the camp, and say, The sword of the Lord, and of Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men that were with him came into the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch, and they had but newly set the watch. And they blew the trumpets and brake the pitchers that were in their hands. And the three companies blew the trumpets and brake the pitchers and held the lamps in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands to blow withal. And they cried, The sword of the Lord! and of Gideon. And they stood every man in his place around about the camp, and all the hosts of Midian ran, and cried, and fled, and three hundred blew the trumpets. And the Lord set every man's sword against his fellow, even throughout all the host. God gave Gideon the instructions, and he carried out the plan. They attacked using trumpets, pitchers, and torches. In addition, as God often did, he used the element of surprise and the tactic of confusion to cause the enemy armies to turn on themselves. As time has progressed, weapons and equipment for war have changed, advanced, and become more deadly, and some may say more efficient. For example, the use of cannons dating back to the 12th century, continually being improved upon, were much later replaced by moving tanks and machine guns as we know them in modern times. Rations and items for the care of soldiers are also a huge part of going into battle that is going to be for an indefinite period of time. The availability of supplies could be the defining point of any battle because the outcome and duration are never certain or predictable. 
A news piece was reported on March the 2nd, 2022, in the UK's Daily Star, stating, Russian troops are running short on supplies because over-optimistic commanders expected to seize Ukraine in three days. Sources in Ukraine are reporting. Now, five months later, at the writing of this article, the war is still not over. 1 Samuel 17, verses 13 through 18 tells us, And the three eldest sons of Jesse went and followed Saul to the battle. And David was the youngest, and the three eldest followed Saul. But David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistine, Goliath, drew near morning and evening and presented himself forty days. And Jesse said unto David his son, Take now for thy brethren an ephod of this parched corn, and these ten loaves, and run to the camp of thy brethren, and carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of their thousand, and look how thy brethren fare, and take their pledge." It seems that the people were having to provide their own food and supplies for war at that time. The U.S. Army rations that were developed and provided to the soldiers in World War II are as follows. Quote, a ration, garrison ration, fresh, refrigerated, or frozen food prepared in dining halls or field kitchens, the most valued of all rations, B ration, field ration, canned, packaged, or preserved foods normally prepared in field kitchens without refrigeration. C ration, individual ration, a complete pre-cooked, ready-to-eat, canned individual meal. K ration, individual ration, designed as a short-duration individual assault ration for paratroopers and other specialized light infantry forces, declared obsolete in 1948. D-ration, emergency ration, bars of concentrated chocolate combined with other ingredients to provide high-calorie content intended as an emergency ration, end quote. Through many years of experience, they have learned that starving, sleep-depraved, or diseased men are not battle-ready and will be hard-pressed to win a battle, let alone a war. In war, your armor would be your items of personal defense. It was often considered a sign of wealth and prestige to have a set of armor, as we see in Isaiah 39, verse 2. And Hezekiah was glad of them, and showed them the house of his precious things, the silver and the gold and the spices and the precious ointment, and all the house of his armor, and all that was found in his treasures. There was nothing in the house, nor in all his dominion, that Hezekiah showed them not. The first thing that Saul wanted to do when David said he was going to go into battle against Goliath was to give David his own armor, because David was only a shepherd boy. However, it did not turn out well because it did not fit him and he had not had any experience wearing armor of any kind. 1 Samuel 17 verse 38 and 39 says, And Saul armed David with his armor, and he put a helmet of brass upon his head. Also he armed him with a coat of mail. And David girded his sword upon his armor, and he essayed to go, for he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off him. Though David was only a boy, he knew this plan was not going to work, and this he had decided before he even got onto the battlefield. 
He rather chose to use the name of the Lord as his defense and his proven sling and stones as his offensive weapon. He was wise beyond his years. Defensive warfare, however, does not denote your personal safety only, but the protecting and defending of your fellow soldiers, families, land, home, territory, or nation. There is no advancing on the enemy, but it is the response to an attack. This may call for the building of trenches, bulwarks, or barricades, having intelligence operations, the setting up of weapons in strategic places, blending in with the terrain, making use of lookouts 24-7 on a rotating basis, and having a way to alert fellow troops if the enemy is approaching are paramount to a successful outcome. Jesus gave this example in Luke 11, verse 21 through 23. When a strong man armed keeps his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor wherein he trusted and divides his spoils. He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth. Preparation of troops mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually are crucial to build up their strength and resolve. Though we owe our lives to those who serve and have served, we are not all soldiers in the traditional sense. During many years in Bible college as zealous young warriors, when we would begin to get discouraged and think we were not being useful in the kingdom of God, one of our professors would say, Time spent sharpening the sword is never wasted. We were not preparing for physical battle, but spiritual, and he knew from the experience of years that preparation was the key to our success going forward. In 2 Corinthians 10, 1-7, Paul fills us in on what we are up against. Now I, Paul, beseech thee, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am based among you, but being absent and bold towards you. But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence, wherewith I think to be bold against some, which think of us as if we would walk according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war against the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience, when your obedience is fulfilled. Do ye look on things after the outward appearance, if any man trust to himself that he is Christ's? Let him of himself think this again, that as he is Christ, even so are we Christ's. He is telling us here who is in charge, who and what the enemy is, and how to defeat it. If we stick to the plan and follow instructions, we can be victorious. In spiritual warfare, we also need offensive and defensive tactics and weapons that assist us in being battle-ready and ultimately in winning the war. Hebrews 4 verse 12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Word of God is our offensive weapon. 
Ephesians 6 tells us to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Furthermore, Ephesians 6 verses 10 through 18 gives us admonition of what to do, how to do it, who we are fighting, the posture we need to take in battle, and the defense outfit we need to have on, along with the weapon we need to have in our hand and in our hearts for the maximum amount of protection. It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins gird about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. For spiritual battle, we must do spiritual maneuvers daily. These are praying, fasting, watching, and reading the Word of God, which fortifies our truth, righteousness, peace, and faith, Paul tells us. Spiritual reconnaissance of the enemy is crucial. 2 Corinthians 2.11 says, Forgive, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. And the establishing of who is in charge and calling the shots in our lives is needed so we can know whose voice to listen to in the time of battle. 2 Chronicles 13.12 tells us, and behold, God himself is with us for our captain and his priests with sounding trumpets to cry alarm against you. O children of Israel, fight ye not against the Lord God of your fathers, for ye shall not prosper. As well as studying the tactics used by other warriors of the faith who have gone before us. Accounts from the Bible to Fox's Book of Martyrs written by John Fox in 1563 or any modern day book of testimonies regarding victories by warriors of the faith will assist us in building our faith and our arsenal for war. Spiritual starving men and women are not battle ready. They will be defeated because they are in a weakened state. We must have our daily rations of the bread of life and the living water of his spirit. When we have done what we know to do in preparation, God will do the rest and fight for us. We will be victorious. When we are under attack, we must remember that defensive warfare is to just hold the line, claim our territory, our families, our friends and neighbors, and our own souls in Jesus' name. He is our hiding place, our shield, and our defense. Psalm 27, 5 says, For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle shall he hide me. Psalm 33, 20 tells us, Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Psalm 144, 1 and 2 state, Blessed be the Lord my strength. 
which teaches my hands to war and my fingers to fight my goodness and my fortress my high tower and my deliverer my shield and he in whom i trust who subdues my people under me the enemy does not stand a chance against our commander-in-chief he wrote the rule book the lord declares in isaiah fifty four verses sixteen and seventeen behold i have created the smith that blows the coals in the fire, and that bringeth forth an instrument for his work. And I have created the waster to destroy. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. Timothy admonishes us in 1 Timothy 6 verse 12, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. We will face battles in our lives. They are inevitable. However, if we man our stations, do our maneuvers, remain battle ready, and follow the instructions of our Commander-in-Chief, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have nothing to fear. Flavius, a writer during the late Roman Empire, stated, A handful of men inured to war proceed to certain victory, while on the contrary, numerous armies of raw and undisciplined troops are but multitudes of men dragged to the slaughter. If we are prepped for war, Victory is certain. Thanks for joining us today. We trust you have been nourished and blessed. Always remember the Lord is faithful and His mercies are new every morning. Until next time, God bless.